0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host Jared Taylor. Joining me today is Dr. Cameron Matthews, the Chief Health Officer at City Block Health.
1: How's Hi, going, Jared? Thank you for having me.
0: Excited. You're you're a you're like a a celebrity in the social world, and <laughs> uh, we'll we'll get into this. But I'll just share a quick story. I'm walking around the health conference, all of a sudden uh, your, your face is, is staring at me from around the corner, but you, you you know, it wasn't you. It was your face on the side of the LinkedIn booth.
1: I was there, but I wasn't there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, they needed to put a a QR code so everyone could have followed you direct just from that too, huh?
1: I thought they had one. I was hoping. Oh, actually maybe they did. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Maybe they did. I don't know. Yeah, I, I just, as soon as I saw it, I took a picture and sent it to you and, um, I'll have to check that again. They they probably did have something like that, but
1: yeah, it makes no sense that they wouldn't. They're pretty big on making sure their followers are uh, following the right people.
0: But but how cool is that? That's uh that's trivia for for someone in the future, right? Like how many people had their faces on a health booth?
1: I uh, wish I was two. there for that very reason to take a picture next to it with people. Like yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, now LinkedIn has been a, a pretty amazing platform, so I'm I'm proud to to have them highlight what I do and and how clinicians like me can actually have a voice on that. I love it.
0: And, and I'm excited. We're going to spend some time today of, of you kind of digging into, um, you know, having a LinkedIn presence and, and, and things like that. But for our audience right now, I would love if you could just give them a quick background about you and then we'll talk a little bit about City Block Health and what you're doing there and then we'll dig in.
1: Great. Yeah. Um, well, again, thank you for having me. Um, I am a family doc at the at the base of it. I'm a, a proud second generation family doc, even that. Uh, I learned a lot from my dad, um, but I really ended up turning my career towards uh, a now wide range of different vulnerable communities as opposed to just a typical private practice or like a lot of my friends going to academia i 've otherwise really been interested in in helping those communities uh, that are perhaps underserved uh, vulnerable. Um, I started off in correctional medicine of all places, actually at Cook County Jail on the west side of Chicago, uh, still my absolute um, most enriching clinical environment to have practice in. Then I went to a couple of federally qualified health centers in Chicago, then I transitioned to the VA where I was part of the national leadership and rose up the ranks to being Assistant Undersecretary of Health for Clinical Services, which means CMO of the whole health system. Um, and then in 22, I transitioned over to City Block. Uh, so my, my path has been pretty uh, phenomenal um, uh, from an opportunity in leadership, in policy circles. Um, I've, I've had a really good time, actually. I'll say it like that. I love that.
0: And what was that transition like? Um, it's, and I guess t- two parts to it. What was that transition like? And maybe what would be your advice on the back end of the question? What would be some advice for people that also want to make that transition?
1: Oh, it's a great question. I, and I actually get it all the time. Um, my um, transition actually wasn't as chaotic as I actually anticipated it to be. Um, because of, I actually see the VA, um, as the integrated health system that it is, it's it's the nation's largest integrated health system. It is really um, the epitome of value-based care and really driving outcomes for veterans in in a in a whole health uh, philosophy. That care model is exactly what we are seeking to deploy, or you know, a, a rendition thereof. That's exactly what we're trying to deploy um, here in City Block. So really I'm taking so many lessons learned from the VA to City Block. The transition, of course, from the largest government bureaucracy to a, you know, VC backed, uh, uh, a bit more business focused uh environment has been a learning curve for me and I absolutely love it. I've actually never been fearful of of taking on new challenges and this to me is is just another piece of healthcare that I needed to learn about. Um so uh yeah, it's it's been a learning curve, but now 2 years in, there's still a lot more I need to learn to be honest, but um the transition wasn't that difficult. I was ready for it. Let's
0: at this point probably most people know of city block health. <laughs> um but let's assume there's some people in the audience. These are the, my favorite people when we do reach them is yeah. Let's say they haven't heard of city block health give us that overview of of what the company looks like today
1: yeah yeah we are a transformative primary care provider we offer a value-based care system where we're taking on full responsibility for a a set uh population of patients and we offer integrated health services primary care behavioral health as well as social services to to just make sure we're focus on their, the entirety of their well being, the entirety of their, their healthcare outcomes. This is particularly unique for us, however, because we're also focused uh, primarily on Medicaid populations, Medicaid and dual eligible, so low-income Medicare. Um, this is a, yet again, another marginalized community that unfortunately uh, has a limited uh, set of solutions, to be honest, that have been designed for them. Um, designed for the difficulties that these communities face, and that's really our goal—to prove um, that there is a care model, that there is even a business model around how to take care of Medicaid populations. We're doing so in the community. We're doing so again from with a primary care chassis. Um, and value-based care is definitely at the crux of it because we're stepping away from the, the frustrations of the fee-for-service model and, and really building care teams based on what our members need as opposed to what can get paid for, which is definitively my experience in primary care, uh, definitely in the FQHC space. I loved that experience, and I believe in FQHC's federally qualified health centers wholeheartedly. but they 're stymied in their ability to be innovative because of of unfortunately their financial model, so uh cityblock has uh really um, taken that first step to try to prove a new solution and i 'm proud to be a part of that transformation
0: let's talk a little bit about your role in particular right mm-hmm. The chief health officer is it, it's it's not it's not a it 's not a new type of role but we've definitely i feel like i've heard about People having that role much more over the last like let's call it three years, talk us through kind of what what that role looks like and kind of um, your role within, within city block health
1: yeah I'm actually really proud of the title um, you know at the crux of it, I'm the chief medical officer, so I am the head clinician I'm responsible for our clinical operations and outcomes, um, you know the, the establishment of our medical practice. Um, but expanding that beyond the somewhat limited definition of medicine, medical, um, health is a much broader concept. Um, so when we're thinking about the population that we're serving, how we need to earn their trust and engagement, be as tech-enabled and data-driven as possible, just you know, my scope obviously expands because I'm stepping outside of just the traditional concept of what a doctor is, what a clinician is. Uh, really working with different partners around the organization to make sure that we're achieving, first and foremost, our, our clinical outcomes, our quality outcomes um, in the most efficient manner. But then also, again, so that we're driving you know the, the business of the organization as well, too. So health is really just a recognition that we're doing so much more than just traditional medicine.
0: I like that. I I, I bet we start seeing more organizations roll that out than even... Uh, versus like the chief medical officer then, because you are right. Yeah,
1: I hope so. I've heard chief clinical officer out there as well, too. And I think uh, it goes more broadly than that, because I'm proud to to manage our social care efforts and really think through what it is around food insecurity and housing and transportation and, and digital access. Those are concepts, again, not traditionally considered part of the clinical space. Uh, I'm very comfortable in in building our strategy around that. That's what we did in the v a you know the v a has more than a billion dollar budget on housing alone every year, and I was really proud to to be the leader over that organization so um i I think we as a health system need to recognize that we're providing health and not just medicine uh, i think I think definitions matter
0: in the beginning of this episode, yes. I talked about how you're, you're a bit of a a social star and LinkedIn, you have that top voice badge. Very few people have that. Even fewer people have it in healthcare, right? Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, something near and dear to to both of us, the the importance of brand building and having a presence specifically on LinkedIn, but also even uh, more broadly than that. Um, you've done a really great job of that. I know it's not easy. It takes time. Um, I guess, what what tips and tricks, what advice do you have for people? And again, kudos to you for, for reaching that uh, accomplishment.
1: Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I am so grateful uh, to many individuals at LinkedIn, including one of their executive leaders who I went to high school with. He was the first one that said, don't you want to do a little bit more on LinkedIn? I was not present on the platform at all. And he reached out to me and connected me with their creator management team. Um, and, yeah, in the healthcare space, uh, I have been fortunate enough, if you kind of think back to the journey that I described of the different clinical environments I've I've been um, happy to be a part of, I also therefore have many different audiences. So I have a veteran audience, I have a federal government audience, I now have this value-based care audience, I have the FQHC audience, I do a lot of work in, in diversity of the workforce, I have a huge following there. So, I think definitely one of the recommendations is to not think so narrowly about kind of where you want your content to be directed, um, but that potentially perhaps an opinion, um, an article that needs to be shared uh, could reach multiple different audiences. So how do you actually engage them? I've, I've, I love that I can really jump from audience to audience uh, depending on the topic, but also within the same topic.
0: Yeah, it's uh you're, you're always you always have a, a solid post up there. Um you hit a, you're you're always either commenting or writing up your own post or uh, being tagged in someone else's post uh yeah. for yeah. Uh, y- this was a good year for you. You had a couple of you had a couple of awards, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Um of course, your award. I thank you for that. <laughs> Part of the inaugural class. I was honored. Um yeah, no. I uh it's been a great platform for me to have a voice. I uh, did not use it that fully when I was at the VA just because I needed to be very careful about kind of comments and how they might be attributed to the the federal government. Uh, And then luckily being at CityBlock now, my voice is very much aligned with the mission and the direction of the organization. So uh, I have been pretty much unfettered (laughs) Uh, and I'm getting acknowledgement for it. It's great. Um, I'm trying to use more of their different tools, do more video and uh, the like, but I think the feedback that I get is often that i'm I'm sharing information that often others don't have access to. They're not reading the same sort of uh, journals that I am or the like. Um, I'm sharing opinions that they have, but they're perhaps they're fearful of voicing themselves. Uh, I'm getting a lot of gratitude when I meet people, even on the street. Someone in my neighborhood, while I was walking the dog, stopped me and said, "Oh, you don't know me, but I follow you on LinkedIn." Uh, in person, so yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been great. I'm I haven't admittedly done this on other social media. I'm not on X. I'm I mean, no, I'm on X, but I'm not using it frequently. Definitely not doing. Doesn't much.
0: It sound like you're on a. You're on a drug when you say that, though. Like, no, so I'm on not on X. X. I don't do X. <laughs> <Is it> right?
1: <laughs> like, maybe that was purposeful. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm not on X, no matter what version you refer to. Yeah. Um. Yes. And I I haven't gone all the video route, like the the TikToks and the, all those no, other things.
0: I, I think LinkedIn does a good job. Like they're not they're not overcomplicating it either. Oh. The one I, I'll have some feedback on. I think with the live stream feature, mm-hmm. I don't. I, I think it's cool. Yeah. I don't think uh it gets enough engagement in the moment right like uh, than other platforms yeah. you you could have right 20,000 followers but you do a live stream and there's like 10 people like in in the stream um which it doesn't necessarily like get people excited like when you see 10 people in there that doesn't mean the content's not good um yeah, exciting. but i do like the part that then you have that video in there where exactly. people can absorb it after which is kind of yeah. cool but uh
1: but yeah uh, yeah, we've done one video after a talk that I gave uh, with with the co-host, and it was it was pretty fun. But yeah, I don't think I saw anyone saw it.
0: <laughs> yeah, or, or they did. They just saw it after it was mm-hmm. it was published on the platform uh, exactly. for sure. Yeah, you are also involved uh, in in the nonprofit space. Talk us through that involvement, what that looks like, and and how you managed to do that along with everything else.
1: Um. Yes, it makes me tired kind of thinking about it, but about 10 years ago, uh, my good friend and I founded a nonprofit called the Tour for Diversity in Medicine. And we consider ourselves a, a grassroots effort where we take around uh, physicians, dentists, and pharmacists uh, of black and brown um, uh, uh, background to meet students where they are, to meet them on college campuses and at high schools around the country. We've been to 27 states over the past 10 years, uh, met thousands of students in person. And so much of the motivation that we provide is because we're sharing our stories. Um, We are sharing the mistakes that we've made. We're giving them advice that perhaps advisors or or others that they've been exposed to uh, just aren't willing to share. Um, and we we 're definitely making a difference uh, the n- outcomes that we follow more than anything because it 's just a single day program that we host are about uh, whether or not they believe that this is an option for them after they 've they 've gone through a day with us, and definitively the answer is yes. And also now they believe it's more than just an option for them generally, but individually as a black or brown student, that they now have seen someone that they have a connection with and that they believe that they could follow. Uh, and that, that's, just, that's just wonderful. And that's what's necessary. If we're talking about the diversity of the workforce, we're not going to do it just by uh, pushing against the affirmative action case and worry about, you know, um, <clears throat> admitting more students in the school. We actually need to go much earlier in the pipeline. And recruit them and motivate them to apply in the first place. There's there's not enough, so that's what that's what my nonprofit does.
0: I think having those connections and, and build it, like seeing that someone's maybe doing what you want to one day accomplish is so important. I every day, I, I don't do it as much now, but. For, over the last, like, 10 years, every day I used to listen to, um, it was kind of in a mix with some background music, so it wasn't just straight up motivational talks, but I was a big fan of, like, what Les Brown was talking about. Yeah. yeah. And Les Brown used to talk about, like, when he, when he was, like, making money or doing stuff, right? And he would talk about, like, making a million dollars, and he would say, like, the, the easiest thing he ever did was make a million dollars. The hardest thing was actually believing that it could happen to him. There we go. Yeah. So like, it's that, that, that's really what you're helping with, right? Like yeah. you're, you're helping people realize that the path you want to take can actually happen to you. And here's a perfect example of someone that's done it.
1: That's exactly what we do. And we're not taking those perfect students. In fact, I never like to go on those those tours as we call them and say, oh, my dad was a doc. I don't want them to see that, right? Because that's, you know, that's the kind of image we don't want to promote. We actually make sure we're finding physicians and and dentists uh, that have come from difficult backgrounds. Uh, One of them, the story that connects with a lot of students most, uh, she was taken to the emergency room with her father after a gang drive by in LA and no one in the emergency room at the time spoke Spanish. So she was translating for her father and now she's an emergency room physician treating other patients like our father was, right? We've got individuals who've failed the MCAP multiple times, failed out of college multiple times. Advisors told them, you know, you're not good enough and still made it. So we want these students to see themselves in our mentors as we call ourselves. So yeah, the motivation is, is through our stories and through our experiences.
0: I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's,
1: uh, you don't fail unless you stop. Yeah, yeah. And so many of our students, so many of our students stop. And there's no one there to encourage them to keep going. Uh, I, I met a first year, I'm talking freshman, young black man with a 3.9 whose advisor had the nerve to tell him, no, maybe you need to be thinking about another career medicine is probably not going to work out for you. A freshman with a 3.9. <laughs> I, I, I don't even understand how that could be voiced to someone. Uh, that's, that's what our students are facing. So we're hoping to do our part to combat that. Yeah. And it's, it's about kind of being
0: that light for them to show them that that's not everyone's opinion. That's a, you know, a yeah. set individual that who exactly. cares, right? That's what and we another... say.
1: These people are not your gatekeepers. They're not the ones making these decisions
0: at what all. Was, um, the other guy was the football player I used to listen to, Inky Johnson. Do you know yes. him too? Yes. Yeah. He used to say like, he would go into high school and say like, I'm going to be in the pros one day. You know, they're like, no, you're going to be in sublock block D. Like, but we need to also stop people from like putting that type of negativity on, especially like, you know, adults can, yeah. you can weather it, you've heard everything, but that is so for a, for a fragile, like, y- yes. you know, young our, mind, in- yes. awful.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's worth than the tracking that you get in like public school. Cause you're, you're actually, you know, hitting them emotionally, intellectually and yeah.
0: Yeah, no. Uplift them. Don't uh, don't shoot them down before they even get their their shot Mm -hmm. to to try to flourish. Yeah, exactly. Well, we are we are heading into the new year. Yes, would love to hear some of your predictions now. For you know, what what do you think is going to happen in the world of healthcare?
1: I am eager for a broader conversation around Medicaid and Medicaid policy. Uh, I'm excited that North Carolina has finally, you know, expanded Medicaid. I'm hoping that the other 10 states are following along and having those conversations. Um, I, I think it's an increasing conversation in policy circles and in, in different uh, organizations that I've connected with that that Medicaid is on a lot of uh, people's radar, whether it's in the VC space or not. And I think, um, I think we need to recognize that this is a specialized area that needs attention, not just the you know application of other solutions from MA or or other or commercial space, uh, but that new solutions need to be created that are tailored and designed for um, populations of of low incomes. Um, so I'm excited for that. I think the conversation is increasing, and I think there's going to be more in 24. With that, I've been a part of a couple of great conversations just around digital health and how in the same vein, uh, they need to be designed with equity in mind, designed for the communities uh, that we say need them most, uh, but yet aren't at the the forefront of the thinking of of those uh, designers, founders, who are trying to create tools that they say will impact health equity, but they're clearly designing them for a different community. I, I think there is more of a conversation. Again, I've been a part of a couple of them of really making sure that designers, founders are are working with the communities that they're hoping to serve from the onset, that they're helping them in the design and, and potentially even ownership of, of those eventual tools. Um, I'm excited for that. Those conversations have been increasing.
0: Dr. Matthews, this has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast chatting mm-hmm. and uh, you are fantastic. I look forward to staying in touch and, You'll keep putting out great content on LinkedIn. Love it. (laughs)
1: Thanks, Jared. This has been so great. Thanks for letting me talk with you today.